Everyone deep breath for the new year. God is good. He is. Right? He is good. Um, he is good. His circumstances are not always good. Right? And your circumstances in 2022 may not have been all that good. Uh, but God is good and He remains good and He will remain good even into and through difficult circumstances. Know that, okay? Um, so, the next few weeks, we um, every year we do this, and it's one of my favorite, um, I guess you call it, it's, not, it's a sermon series, it is, but it's also not your typical or prototypical sermon, I would say. Um, we do something that, we, with, that we've named Stories of Conduit where we take a few individuals that you know you might see every Sunday and you might know their name and you might give them a hug and you might talk to them about you know go bills uh, or you know something like that you know on a Sunday but but there might not always be a deep awareness of who they actually are like where they've come from what God has done in their lives where they sense that God is taking them like the totality of the story of, of what God has done in them. Right. And there is, a, uh, there is a tremendous, there is tremendous power to the sharing of, to the sharing of what God has done in, in your life. Because, because we always, we almost always see ourselves as isolated individuals that that if we shared our story or we got vulnerable with someone else, they're going to think we're weird, right? Like, you think that? Right? Well, you're, you're definitely the only person that's ever thought that, right? You're definitely the only person that's ever gone through that. You're weird, man. Like, and what, but what we, what, we begin to, what we begin to see, right, is that as we share with vulnerability our own stories and what God has done in us, that we... We, we meet people who say, I've gone through that too, or I've experienced that in a similar fashion. And let, let, me, let me encourage you and like stand with you and let you know, hey, you're not alone. Right. And one of the things that is important to us here at Conduit, if you, if you don't know this yet, maybe if you're a little new here, or if you maybe sensed this but couldn't exactly put your finger on it, let me name it for you, is that... Um, I personally have a very low tolerance for like um, for like uh, unauthentic, non-vulnerable Christian sensibilities that don't actually address or talk about the realities of our lives and our experiences and our walks with God. I would much rather have you sit here on a Sunday morning being like, ooh, this is like kind of uncomfortably awkward or close and I don't know how I feel about this then I would have you walking away having heard just a bunch of cliche um, like soundbite clips that that don't actually address like what what is what God is actually like stirring up in your heart and soul all right and so um, and so we 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 try to to not shy away from those things here because we, we think that um, probably what you, what you need, even though you may not know it, what you, what you need is, the, is a, a real and raw approach to life in Jesus and relationship with Jesus and your own circumstances rather than just a bunch of Christian placations that we can always, always talk about and write, write in a journal but never actually return to and let the Lord actually like move, it, move something in our lives. So that's kind of always going to be our approach here in all things is to, is to blow the dust off of things and to try and like as, as, as much as we are able and, has, and, and, has, and God has gifted us to, to get down to the foundation of life as we're actually experiencing it. Okay, um, and one of the ways to do that is to hear, just to hear how God has worked in other people's lives. So we've got some we've got some awesome, awesome, awesome testimonies to share this year, and I'm so excited for you uh, to hear them. So uh, ultimately, 
what we're hearing, okay? We're going to hear from Brandon. Actually, why don't we have Brandon come, go ahead and come up here, brother. Um, we're going to hear from Brandon this morning. This is Brandon. I know um, many, of you, many of you know him. Some of you may not, but he is my brother and I love him. Um, and you, you'll be able to tell we talk exactly alike, right? We have the same, we have the same accent and we, we talk about, so we dress the same, right? Got my Jordans on this morning. Um, so it's like, oh. uh, <laughs> where'd you get those? Well, here, yeah, funny, funny story. Um, Brandon and Lauren gave me these as a gift for marrying them this past year. So like they're, they're why I'm wearing them, uh, this morning. Um, I'm afraid to wear them every other day cause I don't want to mess them up. Uh, but I love them, right? They're the best. Uh, they also gave me this Cobra Kai sweatshirt for, um, for Christmas. And so. It's, this outfit is bought, brought to you by the Mount family this morning, and I'm, <laughs> I am blessed to wear it. Uh, I am blessed to wear it. But anyway, Brandon is my brother. Um, I love him deeply. I've been so blessed to, um, to, to be his friend, to be his pastor. Um, and he's got an amazing story um, of, and, and he will tell you this, but I want to reinforce this because it, it is the theme, right? He's got an amazing story. Not of him, but what of God, what, what God has done, you know, what God has done, right? And that is what we, that is why we tell these stories, not to exalt the person, right? But to exalt the God who saves and redeems and restores and moves and is strong and is powerful, right? And so... And so I want you to hear that. I want you to continue to hear that through, um, through these through these next few weeks. Okay, we have some very different people that are going to be on stage here. I can't. I want to tell you all about it, but I just can't wait. I can't wait. Um, so let's all um, let's. We're going to just pause here for a moment. We're going to say a word of prayer uh, over and for Brandon, and then um, we'll sit down and and just have a conversation. Heavenly Father, we, uh, I thank You, Lord, for the gift of Brandon's life. Lord, You knew him by name before he was even formed in his mother's womb. You knew the trajectory of his life and his story. You knew where You would take him and what You would do with him. You knew about this very moment, Lord. And so, Lord, the glory that You have prepared to be revealed today, Lord. We pray that You would do that. That in the life of Brandon and in the story of Brandon, Lord, that we would see how You have been working and moving and drawing him closer to You. Lord, we pray that through Brandon's story, that, all, that others would be drawn to faith in Jesus. That others would be encouraged to know that they are not alone. That You, um, that you are drawing them close to you as well father we pray for clarity of speech and clarity of mind or we pray for open hearts and open ears in jesus name we pray amen amen have a seat so we kind of do it like this because in a way um what I really want to do is to try to imagine that no one is here. <laughs> We're going to try to imagine that no one is here, right? Yeah. yeah. And I had a, um, you know, in seminary and everything, you take these courses in preaching and, you know, there's always like some people, some people are really nervous speaking in front of crowds, you know, and some people aren't. And, you know, kind of the classic example is, you know, well, if you get really nervous, just imagine that everyone in the crowd is what? In your underwear, right? <laughs> My experience is that that is not comforting. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't work for me. Um, so I don't know if... Um, I don't know if it will work for you, but suffice it to say, <laughs> suffice it to say, um, you know, Brandon, you uh, you obviously have 
you don't have a Western New York accent, right? Um, I don't know if I've ever seen you wear a winter coat. <laughs> so I'm wondering a little bit about like, um, can you tell us the story of how you ended up here in Western New York? Like what brought you, what brought you to, to this place, like at this point in your life? My wife. Yeah. I mean, uh, man, there's so much I, I don't, I don't even know where to start, but I'll say I, I grew up in a small town in Georgia called Flowery Branch, Georgia. Um, growing up, there was only one red light, one stop sign. There was one corner store, and we had one police officer. Mm-hmm. Her name was Betty Johnson. Um, Growing up as a kid, it was, you know, the big cities were, I didn't know much about them. I'm from, I'm from Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta, but I grew up, like I said, in a real small town. And all I knew was school and home and sports when I was playing sports. I grew up playing sports, started playing baseball at the age of three, uh, but what brought me here was a life, a, a lifelong journey of heartache, pain, not really knowing who I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I, and I would be, I would be a little bit surprised by that because, you know, in my time, in my time of knowing you, right, you've been a man who's like who's been honest about like, Hey man, life is hard and there's been, I've had struggle, but, um, you know, I want to, I want to follow Jesus and I want to do, I want to be faithful to my wife and faithful to my family. And I want, I want to please the Lord and glorify the Lord and serve the Lord. And, and I mean, I don't know about y'all. I know about (laughs) y'all. But every time I hear someone talk in a southern accent, I'm like, they've known Jesus forever. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, there's just this thing inside of me. It's like, you hear southern accent, and you're like, oh, yeah, they know Jesus. For sure. <laughs> Knowing him from, like, you know, came out of the womb singing hymns, right? And quoting the King James, right? So, so... My, my question is, is like the Brandon that we know now, like I'm sure this is how you've always, like it's, it's got to be, right, how you've, how you've always been, I'm going to adjust your mic just a little bit, how you've always been, like grow up in a family that knows and loves Jesus, like how, like what was early life like that? Have you always been someone who wants to follow Jesus and loves Jesus or what? No, I didn't. You would think growing up in the South in the Bible Belt that, yeah, I would come out of the womb, praising the Lord, speaking, you know, speaking in tongues, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But no, actually, I didn't grow up knowing the Lord. I didn't I didn't come to know the Lord until uh, really, truly know the Lord until 2016. But my first experience with the Lord was I was like 10 years old. It was when my godfather passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, it was. You know, just me, my mom, I have two sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, who was in the house, isn't my, he wasn't my real father. I didn't find that out until I was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, he was real abusive. He was an alcoholic. More so mentally and verbally abusive than he was physically. Mm-hmm. And I, I, nobody talked about God in my family. Mm-hmm. Nobody did. But when I was 10, I remember after uh, Lonnie's funeral, that's my godfather, I remember after his funeral standing out in this little brick uh, duplex on the porch looking out and was looking at the sun. And for some reason, the sun was really, really, really bright that day. And I remember looking up and thinking, there's something bigger than me. There's got to be something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And 
little did I know that in that moment, I believe that was, you know, when I, when I think back on my life, that that was probably the first moment I recognized God's hand on my life mm. or recognized that God was speaking to me through, through that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, God, God speaks in many ways. You know, he speaks yeah. primarily to us through his scripture. Of course. Right? He, speaks, he speaks to us through um, the life of his son, Jesus. He speaks mm-hmm. to us through the inner witness of his Holy Spirit that's in us, right? Yep. He speaks to us in the glory of his creation, Amen. Right. And so you can that's why sometimes when we, we, we look out on creation, you look at like during the fall, you look at the, you know, the scenic views that we have around here or you see the sunrise and you see, see the sunset and you look at it. And even even those who have no awareness of God, look at it and be like, you know, that is that doesn't just happen. No, you know, there's no way that that just happens like that is obviously that is obviously a create like God has created that, yeah. and um, and so you you had that experience where God was revealing Himself to you even in the glory of His creation in that moment. Yes. So you were ten at that point. Yeah, I was ten years old. What was life like after ten? Like between like your your ten and like then going into teen years and later. That's when life got. Uh... That's when life got rough for me. Um, after that, shortly after, you know, that, that experience, uh, at the age of 11, I started using drugs. Mm-hmm. I went to, uh, went to a party. I smoked weed for the first time, took a hit of acid for the first time, and was scared to death for my mother to come and pick me up because I was 11 years old. And my eyes were bloodshot red. I felt like they were about to come out of my head. Mm-hmm. And I was scared for her to come and get me because not that she wouldn't love me or, you know, want to help me in my situation. I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I didn't want her to know what I had done. Mm-hmm. And little did I know that in that moment of doing what everybody else around me was doing, that it would cause me to become somebody that I was not mm. and I started so I started using that at 11 which still still played sports played baseball basketball they were my life you know it was the only time in my life I really felt like that I was noticed mm. was when I was out on the field or I was on the court because God blessed me with you know athletic abilities and it progressed, the drug use progressed, you know, 12, 13, 14. I started dibbling and dabbling with pills, and smoked weed every day, took pills every day. Uh, grades started declining in school. I actually got kicked out of middle school uh, for, selling, for selling pills in school. How old was this? How old I was this? 13 years old, mm. eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yeah, they wanted they they wanted to uh they wanted to charge me. But my mother went to bat for me as all good mothers would. Mm-hmm. And they sus- they gave me OSS out of school suspension for 2 weeks mm-hmm. under the terms that when I came back I didn't hang out with this certain group of people. And how'd that work out? Oh, uh, well, in <laughs> In, in my younger years, I, I learned how to be very manipulative, um, sly, slick, get around without people noticing that I was doing what I said I wouldn't do. And while I was in the, pe- while I was in the teacher's face, I didn't hang out with the people. But outside of school, I... You know, I was still hanging out with them. Yeah. And, you know, the drug use started to overtake me. You know, like I said, I became this, what I would perceive today, just for myself, I became a monster. Mm. And I started stealing, lying. 
um, mistreating my family, I, stealing from my mother, stealing from my sister, any anybody I could really to to feed my drug habit. And the age of sixteen, I got my girlfriend at the time pregnant. And, you know, you would think that being a young kid, finding out you, you're about to have a kid, it would change. You know, your mindset would change. You would want to be better for that, that child that's about to be born and not go down the path you were going down. And that's, that's not what I did. Uh-huh. I was 17 when my son was born. 17 years old. I had no idea what being a father was like because I didn't have one. Mm. I didn't know how to balance the the chaotic parts of life with being the protector of this innocent child. And when my son was born, it was, it was one of the happiest days of my life. But I was so addicted to drugs that even the day he was born, I left the hospital to go into the parking lot just to get high mm-hmm. so I could come back in and function, be normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know how to function outside of it. And still playing sports at that time, I actually was. When I played baseball, I was a pitcher and not patting myself on the back or anything, but I was I was great at what I did. You know, when I say the Lord blessed me and that he blessed me, Mm -hmm. uh, I had scholarships coming in. And what I felt was right to do was. I graduate and go get a job and take care of my son. And my, I got my first job was working at Subway, making $6 an hour. And quickly realized that $6 an hour wasn't going to cut it. It even got so bad to the point where I was stealing from the company. Mm. I was stealing from the, the company I was working for. And by this point, I had started selling drugs. You were 17 at that point? Se- 17, 17 at this point, yeah. Because I, I, I didn't see another way. I didn't, I knew, I knew no other life outside of the drugs, the drug community and getting money in the most honest, uh, unhonest ways possible. So that was your, that's interesting. So like that was your community that like if you had any sense of community or belonging or friendship or sense of purpose, it was found in. Stealing, selling drugs, doing drugs, like those were your people, those were who you spent your time with. Those 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 were the people who if you would have told me that though yeah, those were my people. Yeah. Those were my people. You couldn't tell me any different. They loved me. Um I was I was cool. Sure. You know, I was I was more I was noticed more in the in that community than I felt I was outside of that, you know, because like I said, when I was younger, I don't, the only, only people that made me feel like I was even noticed was my mother and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother died when I was 16. Mm-hmm. So now your, your grandma's gone. You kind of lose that anchor. Yeah. Right. 17 you're a new father trying to make ends meet community of people that you have are all in this like doing selling drugs stealing to get money to do and sell drugs and so like the trajectory doesn't sound all that great no no it wasn't and by the age of so this is i graduated my my son was born in 2004. I graduated 2005. And by 2009, 
I had graduated in drugs. I, it went from... Is that, that's a thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, you, you go from the lower level to the more hard stuff. And I, I went from, you know, smoking weed and taking pills to cocaine. Mm-hmm. I got introduced to cocaine in 2008. And by 2009, I was 150 pounds soaking wet. Mm-hmm. There ain't nothing wrong with that, by the way. Well, you know. <laughs> be, being, be, being, being, six, being 6'2 and normally weighing, you know, 220. Sure. And yeah. actually looking healthy, mm-hmm. you know. Right. When, when, when I got introduced to cocaine, that was... I fell in love mm. because it numbed. It numbed everything. Nothing, nothing hurt. I, I thought it. I thought I was Superman. Are you talking just like physically, or like more than more it, than? It, um, it was. It was more than. It was more yeah. than physical. It was. It was mental. It was emotional, and um, I would find myself. Again, now now the stealing had became more. Mm-hmm. It became it became more. I was I would go and take people to do things that I'm not really too proud of, wasn't proud of, and would obtain money. You know, being there, mm-hmm. chauffeur or whatever, to help them do what they needed to do to to get their money and mm-hmm. and whatever. But 2000, 2009, I was in a, I was in a relationship, was, was actually married, and it was the most ungodly relationship that I've ever been in in my life. It started out with drugs, and it ended because of drugs. Mm-hmm. In 2009, we, um, we got into a big fight, big argument. And as I was told as, as a young kid by my father, she would tell me the same thing. She would tell me that, you know, nobody will ever love me. I'll never be good enough. I might as well go ahead and just end my life because my life would never amount to anything. Mm-hmm. And the more and more she would say it, the more and more I don't know if it was myself or now looking back on it. It was the enemy mm-hmm. telling me, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Nobody will miss you. Yeah. Nobody will miss you. And I was at a real low point in life. Um, didn't have a job. Bills coming in. Child support. My son was five years old at the time. And I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to live. The house that we had moved into, um, a lot of people say I'm crazy when I talk about this, but the house was haunted. Mm-hmm. You, would hear, you would hear voices at night, real sinister voices, feet running across the floor, doors slamming, doors opening, nobody moving, everybody's asleep. And I remember one night I was laying in the bed and the door violent, the closet door violently swung open and hit, hit the, the wall. And I jumped up I was, and I was scared. And I heard like this real eerie, sinister laugh, but it was like it was coming from two small children. And I didn't think anything about it. I shut the door and I went to sleep that night and I woke up and all I wanted to do was die. Mm. I didn't want to live. Like I said, I, I was I was at my wits end yeah. and had a job interview that morning, went to the job interview. All I had to do was pass a drug test. I got the job. Mm hmm. There was no way it was going to happen. Even if I got somebody who was clean to pee for me and, mm-hmm. you know, did all I could do to pass the drug test, 
mentally I wasn't there. Yeah. And on the way home, I kept hearing that voice. Do it. Nobody will miss you. Mm-hmm. You're like, you, you know, you have no purpose. Your life has no meaning. Do it. And I remember pulling into a Dollar General that was right, right across the street from the little neighborhood I lived in. Pulled into the Dollar General. Didn't even pay. For, I, I, I stole two bottles of Tylenol PM. Didn't even pay for them. Went outside, went to the car, opened the bottles, put the bottles, stuffed the bottles down in my pants, hid the, the packaging that they came in because I didn't want anybody to see them. Like, Tylenol PM was something bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody to know what I was about to do. And I went home, got home, and my wife at the time, her and her brother were in a, in a frenzy because his girlfriend had got arrested or whatever. So they were going to get her out of jail and left me at home by myself. It was the worst thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. But it was probably the best thing that could have happened because I went into the kitchen, poured a glass, glass of Kool-Aid, and I went into the bathroom. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I just remember I hated what I saw. I hated who I saw. Up until that point, I couldn't, I, there was not really much of a, a, a time where I could ever remember looking at myself and saying, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love who you are. You know, you have purpose, you have value, your life has meaning. And I remember taking both bottles putting one in my hand, taking the pills, and I drank the whole cup of Kool-Aid and I went and laid down. And I cried my eyes out. Because I just, I wanted it to be over. Mm -hmm. The pain, the hurt, the not knowing, the not knowing how I was gonna take care of my kid or if I was even worthy enough to be a father. Mm-hmm. I was tired. I was done. Mm-hmm. And it was midday, probably about 2 o'clock. And I remember getting up to go to the bathroom a couple times. And each time I would be lethargic, stumbling, vision blurry. And I just remember saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. And the last time I went, I got up to go use the bathroom. Everything went black. My wife and her brother came back home. They found me naked on the bathroom floor, unresponsive, no pulse. I wasn't breathing. I was dead. And they called the ambulance. The ambulance came and got me. They took me to the hospital. And something miraculous happened that day. I don't know that my mother believed in Christ. I didn't know. But now when we talk, she would tell me that she was always praying for me. When I was laying in that bed, I was laying in the hospital bed. You know how they always say before you die, you see a real, real bright light, right? I did. I did. I saw a bright light. And I saw this, this much of a hand come down out of that light. And I heard the most peaceful, loving, 
firm, stern, compassionate voice I had ever heard in my life. Mm -hmm. And all I heard was, come with me, son. And I know it wasn't my dad because my dad never spoke to me like that. My dad never told me he loved me. He told me he loved me one time. And that's because the woman he was cheating on my mom with told him it would make our relationship better. Mm -hmm. And he told me this. So I, I, I hear this voice and I reach up to grab the hand and I, I, I see this and I reach up to grab the hand and when I do the tip of my middle finger and the tip of that middle finger, they, they touched and I shot straight up in, in the hospital bed and they had pumped me full of charcoal. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ever take too much of something, that's what they'll do to try to, you know, cleanse your body out. I had all these tubes and stuff and immediately my mom starts running, running through the hospital. He's back, he's back, he's alive, he's alive. And I immediately start throwing up. And then I got my sister fussing me out. My, my, my mom, she's, she's angry, she's upset. You know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I remember even in that moment waking up that I, I don't wanna be here. Mm -hmm. Why am I still here? Still, still. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. so bad at everything, I couldn't even do this right. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it was it was that bad. Like I, the, what, what can I do right? Mm -hmm. And I, I went tried to get help. It didn't work. It didn't work. I got got out. I spent seven days in a in a place, and that wasn't enough because when I got out, I went right back to the same person who told me I should kill myself. You went back to the community of people that you knew. Went right back. You know, like Be how important is community, right? How yeah. important are people, right? Be because you couldn't tell me that those people didn't love me. Mm -hmm. You couldn't tell me that. Yeah. Even though all the signs were there, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't push me to do better. They didn't encourage me, you know, in, in any way whatsoever. There was no accountability. Mm -hmm. And... I went back to the person who, you know, who, who told me to kill myself. And that's when I got in, introduced to uh, methamphetamines. And from 2009 until 2015, no, 2016, I was awake more than I was asleep because of the methamphetamines. And went from, you know, again, was skin and bones because I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't taking care of myself. Homeless, living up under bridges. Literally a hundred yards, I could have took a rock and threw it at the house I grew up in that my family was still living in. But all my life choices had led me to live up under this bridge that was literally right there. Mm -hmm. And in and out of jail, have been in and out of jail, would get locked up three, four times a year, spend two, three months in jail. And in 2014 was the first time I picked the Bible up. It's the first time I ever, first time I ever picked the Bible up. And the only reason I picked it up is because the person that I was bunking with in jail was like, here, read this. Mm -hmm. So I just started reading it. I didn't know what I was reading, didn't know why I was reading it. Mm -hmm. But little did I know that his word was getting seared in my heart. Mm. I mean, it was, it, it, I, I didn't know it at the time. It was, it was doing the work. It was, it was doing what it does without you even realizing what it was doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And while I was locked up, you know, I, I saw a lot of things. I, it was the first time I ever fasted. First time I ever prayed. Um, first time I ever prayed for someone. Didn't even know what I was doing. Had no idea how to pray or who I was praying to. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And 2014, I got out and left left God exactly where that Bible, where I left that Bible at, and mm-hmm. that was in that jail. Yeah, I didn't think about it anymore. Got got locked up again in 2015. Caught my first felony charge, drug drug charge, and went back in. And lo and behold, the same person who handed me the Bible was still in there, and handed me another Bible and said, "Here, read this." And you can't run fast enough, man. You can't no, run fast I, enough I, away from I me. couldn't. I couldn't. And and I even tried to to get away from him, but I couldn't. There was something. I know now it was God. I know it was Holy, the Holy Spirit. I know it was Jesus. I, he was drawing me to him. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to read, I mean, speak Spanish in jail mm-hmm. because I was in a, in a Spanish Bible study. Everybody there, was, they were from different Latin countries. And I was the only white person in the in the cells they were reading their bible and i was following along with them i learned how to speak spanish that way mm-hmm. and was facing some prison time and i asked people to pray for me i started a prayer prayer call in the in the dorm that we were in and we would pray every night ask people whatever their you know issues were whatever they were seeking the lord for and we would pray for it well, my, my sentence that I was looking at was, you know, four or five years in prison. And it got cut to three months just in jail. Mm. And so the Lord looked out for me in that. And, you know, I was I was in had this new mindset. I was going to get out. I was going to do the right thing. I was, you know, I was going to serve the Lord. And, you know, I got out, did good for a couple of days, a couple of months. And I missed one Sunday at church. One Sunday. By that Tuesday, I was getting high again. Mm. This was the longest I had ever been clean in my life. From the age of 11 until 20, uh, 29 years old, almost 30. was like four months. And it was because I was locked up. Mm. And then when I got out, I missed church. One day, one time, I didn't spend time with the Lord. One time. And that Tuesday, I, I was strung out on meth again. Mm-hmm. From Sunday to Tuesday, that's all it took was that little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And then for that whole year, a year and a half, that was early 2015. And by November 2016, I was to the point of death. Because of the methamphetamines and my drug use and and all of that. But God has a way of God has a way of grabbing you and showing you mm-hmm. just how important you are to him mm-hmm. and how much value your life has. Mm-hmm. I was I was in a place roach infested, Hayesville, North Carolina. I was in a place that was roach infested, nothing to eat. Electricity was about to get cut off. And I had wrote, I was, I went back down to Georgia to see a friend. And I had been up for like two weeks. I went to, went to get high and on my way back to North Carolina, I passed this unmarked SUV, and I, I, I knew, I knew there was something inside of me that knew this was, this about to be bad. Mm-hmm. I got pulled over, and as I'm, you know, driving down the road and the car pulls behind me, the lights come on. You know, I was, I was tired of that too. But I was so far gone with the drugs that this was the first time I, I, I believe that I ever prayed in a real, true, honest prayer instead of 
Lord, get me out of something or do this for me. And I promise I'll do this, you know, because I'm, I'm sure we've all prayed a prayer like that. Mm-hmm. Lord, if you'll just do this one thing for me, I'll promise I'll do this. Mm-hmm. And I was honest, you know, I said, Lord, I don't I, I don't want to go to jail. I just want to get high one more time. Lord, please just just let me get high one more time. Mm. All I want to do is get high. And I tried so hard to fight it. I was going to run. And started to pull the car over. Pulled over. Took my hands off the steering wheel. Like this. Not, not even realizing what I was doing. But I was in a place of surrender. I had raised my hands to the Lord. I was in a place of surrender. I was tired. I was done. And when the officer pulled me out of the car, put me in handcuffs, they put me in the back of the cop car. It was the most peace I had ever found in my life. Mm. I went straight to sleep. Went straight to sleep. Woke up the next morning when I was in jail. Passed by the makeshift mirror that they have in there. And it was the first time I was ever able to look at myself and tell myself, I love you. Mm. You are somebody and you will be somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So November 15, 2016 was the day the Lord completely healed, redeemed, and set me free Mm. of all that bondage. Yes. Praise Jesus. Mm -hmm. What's what I think is. One of the things that's interesting to me is that we we often don't give, I guess credit's not necessarily the right word, but you get what I'm saying, is that um, the, the pathway that we take, the pathway that we take to the Lord and to like life change is, you know, we all, we all want it to be like straight and linear. Right? Like one big straight line. Like you make a decision one day and then the rest of life is, you know, all the way up to all the way up to heaven after that. Just yeah. on to glory. And we all like so much so that we almost it is it becomes kind of like an expectation of Christian life that that there's no room for anything other than you make a decision one day and then every other day after that is all sunshines, rainbows, and like care bears in the sky. Like life is going to be perfect after that. But what, what, what this, your story, and I think that if we all, we all look at our own stories um, and are honest with our stories, the reality is that our, our walk with the Lord looks looks more like kind of like a ball of spaghetti mm-hmm. than it does, you know, a straight line an upward an upward ascent, right? Yeah. But it's up and it's down and it's backwards. And then it's back forward again and it's down and around and over, right? And and I know that that's true. I know that that's that's true with like addiction in general. Right? Yeah. And and the the like the life the life of an addict, you know, like, um, sort of mimics what Paul said. You know, the very thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I do. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. I hate it. I hate myself when I'm doing it. It has, it brings nothing of value for me. I am in complete misery in the midst of it. But it's the only thing I want to do. Yeah. And it's not because, it's not because. An addict loves it; they actually hate it. Yeah, I've 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 worked with a lot of addicts. And I know a lot of addicts, and I am an addict myself. And I know one thing I know for sure is that um, no one who is an addict ever set out to be one. No one ever woke up one morning and be like, you know, I think that it would be really cool if I got addicted to drugs and alcohol or 
if I got addicted to pornography or if I was addicted to gambling or if I was addicted to X, no one, no one ever wakes up and be like, you know, I think, I think I'm going to choose to be an addict today. But yeah. it starts, like you said, like whatever it takes to numb the pain. Yep. Like there's a sense of like turmoil and pain and like you said, like I don't even love myself, so how could I expect anyone in my life to love me? Yeah. Right? And the deep-seated realization that I am a person that no one loves, even myself, is a painful thing for someone to, to deal with. And so often the quickest and most immediate way to numb that pain is by some, tor- some, some sort of or type of substance. Mm-hmm. And, and the horrible part about it is like it actually works. For a minute, Unfortunately. or two, or yeah. a day, or whatever, but then coming back down, all of that is still there, with the added heap of shame and guilt over what you just did. Yeah, right. So, I think that your story of like up until that moment, November fifteenth, you said, right? November fifteenth. November fifteenth. Up until that moment, it wasn't like just like oh. I realize my need for Jesus and I'm going to call out to him and then straight up. But it was like, no, at 10, you had a sense of God calling and drawing you near, right? And then November 15th, how old were you then? 29? 29 years old. 19 years later, right? 19 years later, God is still pulling the rope of Brandon along right and you're fighting him and you're running and you're trying to yeah. cut the rope off right yeah. and and you're saying you're like yeah i mean talk about honest prayers hey god if i could just get high right now that'd be great that's what i want to do talk about honest prayers yeah yeah and and, and and that was it that that's that's what i wanted yeah i was honest you were honest yeah i was honest it, and, and like i said it wasn't a i want to get out of this so that, you know, I'm not in a place of confinement where people are telling me what to do. I hate this. It was God. This is really what I want to do. You know, do you, do you get the sense that. That one, it was like the cumulative effort of God's work in your life, but I almost get this sense of like God was like, all right, he's finally being honest. And finally, like surrendering what he actually what is actually in his heart, like. Now I got space to work. Yeah, I, I I do believe that, and I'm when I look back on it, I'm reminded of Jonah. I'm reminded of Jonah because God called Jonah, told Jonah to go do something. Jonah ran. You, I mean, you've you've preached on it, fifteen hundred miles in the opposite direction. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, fifteen hundred miles in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this, mm-hmm. but you see, my, my my belly of the well was rock bottom, mm-hmm. nowhere else to go. And what I found out was is that, like Jonah, I caused a lot of storms in other people's lives. <clears throat> because of my lack of hearing what God was telling me mm-hmm. only to find out that the rock at the bottom where I was at was Christ. Was it? Yes. With Jesus. It was Christ. Yep. On which is the only foundation a man or woman or child can build their life upon. Mm-hmm. And so tell, tell us a little bit about life after November, like after November 15th, wow. 29 years old life, life after November nine, uh, November 15th, Life after that, I I served six months. Um, ministered to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The Lord used me. Wow, it was crazy. The Lord used me mightily in in those six months in ways that I never thought I was capable of being used, or even thought I was capable of helping somebody in those times. I saw. You know, praying over people, speaking the word over people. I saw marriages restored. 
I saw families, you know, fathers and sons being brought back together as my relationship with, with my children was, was mended. We were, we, we were brought back together. We were, you know, it was, was, was there still ups and downs? Of course there was. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like you said, not, nothing is, it's, it's not straightforward. It's not care bears in the sky. Nope. It's not. Not even, not even now. No, yeah, no, right. not even now. There's, yeah. there's still heartache. There's still pain, but the heartache and the pain is easier because he bears it. Mm. I don't have to. Jesus bears it. He bears Amen. it. Amen. Yeah. I don't, I don't have some more about that. Yeah. I, I, I don't have to bear it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he bore it over 2000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything that I have gone through will am going through today and will go through in the, in, in the future. He's already bore that for me. Mm-hmm. He bore it at the whipping post and he bore it upon the cross. Yeah. And um, ministry work, people calling me not to, hey, can you go do drugs with me? It's, hey, you want to come serve the homeless, homeless community? Yeah. I want, I want you to share your story. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. your community change? Oh, after that, drastically, yeah, drastically. Tell me a little bit about that. I was like, I was going from uh, I, I went from abandoned houses, no, like I said, you know, abandoned houses, doing drugs to half million dollar homes with people who really had no other joy in life but serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. And there was even you know times where I, I would I would look around at me and be like, I don't belong here. This is this is not who I am. And God would always remind me. This is who you are. Mm-hmm. This is the Brandon I made. Mm-hmm. And life was and it was it, it was so much better, so much better, even in the hurting and the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could I could see clearly. I could think clearly. I had an instruction manual that I could go to when, well, this person did this to me or, or this happened in my life. I don't know how to overcome it. Well, Matthew seven says this, mm-hmm. or, you know, Romans says this. Mm-hmm. And in that time when I was incarcerated and I was reading the word after November 15th was when the word started flowing out of me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody ever seen the movie Rain Man. Oh yeah, y'all know y'all know that movie. Mm-hmm. The community that I had come into, the Christian community, we would be talking about scripture, and scriptures would just be, mm-hmm. you know, coming out, and people would be cut. That's what they would call me, Rain Man. And everybody and everybody swore like you, you know, being from the South. You know, he he grew up with a King James you know, Bible yeah, in his of course, hand. Right, yeah. And when I would tell them my story, they would be like, there's no way that's possible. Yeah. Well, the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. Amen. Right. And so if if our if our words are salty and unkind and toxic and poisonous and full of hopelessness and darkness right it's coming from a place where our hearts are like that's the content of our heart the word speaks the content our words speak the contents of our hearts and so if what's coming out now is like scripture like the word of god the word of god the hope of jesus right the redemption through his son forgiveness for your sins like the love of god in your life like it's coming from a place of like that you have to put that there yeah. In order for it to come back out, right? It doesn't yeah. come back out on its own. It's got to be put there. Yeah. Right. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was definitely put there because, you know, when I was incarcerated, I, I would wake up six o'clock in the morning and go sit out in the, at the table and spend hours in the word. Yeah. Hours. Devour. And well, I didn't know I was devouring it and living off of it then, but come to find out it was the very lifeline that, it's know. almost like it was a grace a grace of god to give you that undivided attention while you were locked up there was to no just absolutely digest his word yeah there, there was no other way he would have got my attention yeah no other way so 
just get a few more minutes here, Brandon. But I, I would, you know, we 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 want to be a place. Conduit obviously wants to be a place that is a is a safe, healing, restorative, redeeming environment, a community of people for those who maybe feel like they don't have community where they can be healed in, mm-hmm. where that they can get healed. That's one of the, like we 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 want to build what we call gospel community, grace-centered gospel community here. And we, and, and our own, our own pathway to building gospel community kind of looks like in the same, that whole, you know, ball of spaghetti, but that's, that's where we want, that's where we want to go. And so, of course, being in ministry or just being a community where people can, uh, people even who are struggling with addiction of various forms, not just drugs and alcohol but other other forms of addiction as well what would you if you were to say like what what would you say to to anyone who is like who who is maybe struggling with a form of addiction now or even maybe a loved one who's a struggling or who has who has has a loved one who's struggling with addiction coming out of that and like where you are now Don't give up. Don't give up. You are loved. There is a purpose for your life. Mm-hmm. And I wish I wish somebody would have told me this. Be still. Be still and know. Mm-hmm. Be still and know that he is God. Mm-hmm. That he is able. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that. If it was just you. Whoever it is, if it was just you. On this earth, Jesus still would have did, came, took took that beating, mm-hmm. and and died on that cross, so that you could have eternal life with Him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. Definitely not alone. You think you're alone, right? And you may have a community of people who you think that you can go to and I love you, but um, there's only one love that that surpasses all circumstances, and that's yeah. the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. The the love of the, the, the Paul said the love of the love of Christ constrains us. And it's the love of Christ that has propelled me and not only myself but my family to love those who have hurt us in the past, present, or will hurt us in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that has shown us a new way to be with those who feel like they're not noticed mm-hmm. in communities, like whether it be homeless people or those who abusive relationships, wh- whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. There's somebody out there who your story, your hug, your smile, whatever it is that you have to offer that God has given you, will not only help you overcome, but will help them overcome because the Bible says in Revelation twelve eleven that we overcome by the word by the word of our testimony and by the, the blood of the, the Lamb. Lamb. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is that that helps us to have that heart of stone tore apart mm-hmm. and a new heart of flesh be given. Mm-hmm. And I believe that where we are now that that is what this world needs. Mm-hmm. Needs people who share the love of Christ in truth, yes, and and in grace, yes, mm-hmm. un, un, not watered down, mm-hmm. but in truth. Mm-hmm. The Word of God is what is going, yeah, will, will set people free. The gospel of Jesus changes everything, Amen. right? Is what changes Amen. everything, Amen. right? Well, I, we could stay up here and maybe talk for another couple of hours, but I want you know, I want to let you know how much I appreciate you and appreciate you being willing to open your heart and open your story, um, you know, a little bit for us. I know there's, I know there's some, some, some more details that yeah. are um, maybe for a different crowd and different time, but we, yeah. um, you know, I, uh, I'm so encouraged by you and so grateful that the Lord didn't stop. I'm so grateful that the Lord did not stop. That he just kept pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling 
And I think, man, I, I think that the fact that you, the prayer that you prayed to the Lord when you asked him, told him you just want to get high, and then that's the moment where peace and surrender came, man, that could preach. Like, I think we're going to return to that truth. Um, uh, I think we'll return to that truth. I'll return to that truth many times from here on out. So thank you for, thank you for that. But man, all glory be to Jesus Amen. for what He has done Amen. in your life. You know, all glory be to God for um, pulling you from that pit and setting your feet on the rock of Jesus Christ and 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 setting your face like flint forward. Right, and you have a beautiful family back there. You know, your wife Lauren and your daughter Kayla whom we love um, we love so much and I, I hope that if you don't know Brandon well um, or if you've only got a chance to meet him in passing that you take an opportunity to get today and give him a hug and uh, maybe even share a part of your story if anything resonated with you uh, we want you to know that you you are loved and that and you are loved and I love you um, and I love you. I know you do. Uh, um, and and you have family and community here uh, that cares for you and that desires God's best and God's working in your life. So why don't we all stand and uh, we'll pray one more time here and then the worship team is going to come back up. We're going to sing a few more songs this morning and then we'll, uh, we'll enjoy communion together. We'll... Uh, We'll meet at the Lord's table together and then end our day. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Brandon's story. I thank You for the way that You, um, that you have worked to bring redemption to every attempt of His to really end His life. But Lord, that You have said, no, Brandon, I have a plan for You. I have a heart for You. I have a desire for You. Lord, I thank You for Your glory as it is revealed in Brandon's life. And I pray, Father, that the sharing of his story would be a, um, would be a magnet of faith to others that are hearing this today. Whether they're hearing online or here in this room that they would know, Lord, through Brandon's testimony that, that, that they are loved, that they are worthy of love, that, that there is no situation, Lord, that, that Jesus does not have power and control to redeem. Lord, that nothing is over until Jesus says it's over. Lord, this is, our, this is how You build the testimony, Lord, from death to life, that Jesus writes it. Lord, we thank You for writing it in Brandon's life and we pray, Father, that You would continue to use stories like this to encourage and strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.